This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. What do we mean when we say move? That's right, it's time for even more definitions. Let's go. Move. To sell. Hey Jerry, we gotta move that extra inventory we have. Move. To stir emotions. Are you one of those people who are moved to tears during a good rom-com? You are? Good, okay, me too. We can be friends. Move. To leave a place. It's the good old Midwestern goodbye. Slap both your knees and say, well, time to get a move on. Move. To take action. Let's get to it. Let's talk about being called to move. Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story this morning as we start. Uh, When I was a sophomore in high school, I was on the track team, and uh, I ran the 4 by 4 relay race. If you're not familiar with that particular race, it's four guys each going one lap around the track, passing a stick to each other. And, um, and as you, we were going during that year, we realized, you know, our, our group of guys for this race, we were good, <clears throat> excuse me, we weren't great, but we were good enough. And as the season wore on towards the end, uh, state finals were approaching, and our coach looked at our team with a evaluative eye, and, and he realized that if we could just shave a little bit of time off this relay race, that uh, we had a chance of, of qualifying for state. And, and so as he looked down through the, the four runners on the list, he, he came to me, and, and, uh, and yours truly turned out to be the slowest uh, of the four. <clears throat> and, and so he patched me up, or paired me up with another runner on our team who was pretty good, uh, you know, had a chance of maybe going to state, but, um, but anyways, we had to race off for the fourth spot on the relay team, and, and he won, and I was awarded the position of the alternate, the alternate, it was entitled. Now, if you're not familiar with this prestigious position, let me explain to you what it is. Um, it, it's, a, it's a position where you, where you go along with the team, and, and, and you warm up, and you practice if you want to, and, um, and, and then you, you cheer on the team, and uh, you watch as they run the race. It's kind of like an understudy, right? You're just there in case somebody turns an ankle at the last minute. It's the kind of job where you can be about as passionate or as unpassionate about it as you want to be. And you get to do that, and and, uh, there's still a little bit of a perk in the fact that you get to skip school that day. But in all likelihood, you're never running that race. (laughs) You're you're never touching that course. (laughs) And I think, though, that... That this might be a bit of a metaphor, a helpful metaphor for us, when we look at our role, though, with the Word of God, for how some of us are approaching our role, that is, with the Word of God, the gospel message, and the work of seeing this message go out far and wide. Some of us think of this kind of work, that when we look at it, that this is a work that's best left to the professionals, Right? That maybe for us, we're just more of an alternate. And there we go, we can have about as much passion for it 
and for bringing it to others as we feel our role requires. It's not that we don't think that somebody shouldn't be out there doing this work and explaining the scriptures and getting the message of Jesus to other people. We do. We, we, we think that that's important. We just don't think it should be us. Certainly as a Christian. We, we like the benefits of people doing this sort of work, and we're happy to cheer it on, but that's about the extent of things. We might dabble a bit here and there, but at the end of the day, we're pretty sure we're just an alternate. And we can be about as passionate or as unpassionate about things as we want to be. I mean, how many times? This is where I, really where I think maybe we can see this the clearest. It, it's in our relationships. And it's how many times that you and I have thought to ourselves when we've encountered somebody where maybe they were a coworker, or maybe they were, uh, you know, a friend that had a, maybe an addiction or uh, it was maybe even a child of ours or something like that. And we thought to ourselves that we were really hoping that somebody would come along and explain the scriptures to them. We're really hoping uh, that, that somebody would come along and in the midst of, of, of this friend's confusion, uh, be able to offer some clarity about what the word of God has to say. We were really hoping that, that somebody would come along and sit down with this person where we saw maybe an opportunity to, to, to explain who Jesus was and, and to make that case. And, and we were really hoping somebody would come along and, and do that. Somebody would come along and take advantage of that opportunity. And to date, we're still hoping because we're looking for somebody else to run the race. Maybe that sounds a bit familiar. I think all of us have had moments like that. But I want to press on this issue this morning specifically. And I want to do it by taking a look at a passage from the book of Acts in chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, we have a a cast of characters that model for us a different outlook on our role with the Word of God. They model for us an appropriate mindset for a Christian when it comes to the ministry of the Word. That is, helping someone better understand or apply what God has said. As we do, we're going to see three facets from this passage that really stand out, and they form a particular question that I want to pose to you today. So Acts chapter 18. We pick things up here in verse 24, and we read this. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of of John. Now pause there, because we need to unpack a bit of this lengthy description that we have. First, uh, we see that, 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 that he was from uh, the city of Alexandria, a very famous city in Egypt at that time that had become the intellectual center of the ancient world. This is where the, the great library was at, and, and the place where the Septuagint had been uh, translated and put together. It's an intellectual center. And it would appear that Apollos has benefited from the education in that environment. The passage says that he was an eloquent man or a learned man. In other words, he was the kind of guy who would finish his sentences with phrases like, as it were, 
right? He's the kind of guy who, who when it came to the dictionary.com word of the day, he used it yesterday correctly, knowing what it meant before seeing it. And he finished that, of course, with as it were. Right? He, he's that kind of a guy. He's eloquent. He's learned. And it says he's competent in the scriptures. That is that he had studied the Old Testament scriptures to the point where he understood them and he could use them correctly. And we see that coming to play in that how he has received the gospel message. And although there are some deficiencies that it states here, we're not sure exactly what all that is, but there's some deficiencies in his understanding. He nonetheless was able to teach accurately the truth about Jesus. So in other words, he doesn't know it all, but what he does know, he steps up and shares it correctly. And did you pick up how he shared it? It was right there in the middle of verse 25. It says, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke. In other words, Apollos didn't have some kind of alternate mindset. No, instead, the Holy Spirit of God had ignited in him a passion for others to hear about the truth. That's our description of Apollos. And we see things in verse 26, then moving forward with him, where we read, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, knowing what we now know about Apollos, it's not hard to understand why he gets the opportunity to teach in Ephesus and this Jewish synagogue and this congregation that's there. But as he's teaching, it becomes apparent that he's accurate but incomplete. He's a couple aces short of a full deck of cards. But in God's provision, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, are present. This model couple here is a couple that keeps showing up throughout the background of the New Testament. They consistently show up supporting and helping the ministry of the early church move forward. They hear this passionate preacher, and where others may only see deficiency, they see opportunity. And they take the time to step up and to explain. The word explain here means to carefully lay out a truth. And so they do that, and they do it accurately, and they do it for Apollos. This isn't some kind of then haphazard, off-the-cuff, random compiling of thoughts that they dump on his doorstep. No, they valued the truths of God and understood that passion is important, but it mustn't lack depth of accurately understanding the truth about Jesus. So they step up. And they explain it. And we see where this leaves us in verse 27. We pick things back up. And it says, And when he, Apollos, that is, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, hold on for a moment. You got to picture this. Uh, Apollos appears to be a dynamic, growing, successful preacher. And it seems to be a benefit to the Ephesians that were there. And so we should ask the natural question that if any of us were in that situation, would be asking. It's simply this. Why leave? 
why leave? I mean, isn't that how we typically think of things? Things are going great. People are getting saved. People are growing. So why go? Good question. Perhaps that's why there's that little note there in the text that Apollos was helping those who through grace had believed. Anyone engaged in the ministry of the word is only a vessel. They're a tool. Ultimately, Christ and Christ alone changes hearts and grows the saints. The work in Ephesus was dependent on Christ, not on Apollos. And so the church in Ephesus is confident and steps up to send him out because they too have a passion to help others hear this message. The result is a public, powerful, and biblical defense of Christ's identity that encourages, it greatly helps the believers there in the region of Achaia. And gang, as we said here, 2,000 years later, confronted by the examples of Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and the church of Ephesus and their mindset on the word of God, we should recognize that they were everyday Christians like us. They were everyday Christians like us. And they cared enough about others hearing this message of the gospel to step up and share it and to step up and explain it, and to step up and send it far and wide. And their example is just one more example in a stack of examples that we have been assembling throughout this study on the book of Acts of everyday Christians that God used to minister his word to others, to take his word and to move it everywhere. And it begs the question of each and every one of us, today of this. Are we passionate about others encountering the truth about Jesus? Are we passionate about others encountering the truth about Jesus? Friend, there's no alternates in this race, and there's no professionals either. It's up to you and I to embrace the work of taking the ministry of the word to every nook and cranny of our city and of our state and of our region and of our nation and of our world. It is up to us to follow. It is up to us to play a role in the movement of the gospel from whatever position that we have on the field. Listen, you may or may not be a Sunday school teacher, a life group leader, a youth group leader, a men's group leader, a women's group leader, or some other group leader, but you've got a role to play. You've got a role to play in this work. And if you're a Christian, seeing this message encounter others is to be your passion too. After all, in in your life, you may very well be the only Christian that that relative who isn't walking with Christ knows and will listen to. You may very well be the only Christian that that co-worker has a relationship with. You may very well be the only Christian that that person that you don't even like knows. You may be very well be the only opportunity. God has providentially placed you right there, though. And he has providentially placed us right here for such a time as this to share the word, to explain the word, and to send the word far and wide. You're no alternate in this race. And like Apollos, you know what? You might have some deficiencies in your understanding, but share what you know. Like Priscilla and Aquila, you might not have an official office in somebody else's life, 
doesn't mean you can't take them into your home and help them better understand with greater clarity the message of Jesus. And, and just like the church in Ephesus, we don't have to be afraid of losing our best. We can send others confident that, that God who started a good work with us here will bring it to completion, and he will take care of getting the message there. And when I pause, I, I think about the countless examples in this congregation alone of the men and women and the stories I've heard of the way that you've started Bible studies at work and the way that you've opened up your home and invited your neighbors in and hosted opportunities for them to hear about Christ and the way that you've decided to build a relationship with that relative and disciple them even though they're not walking with Christ and to be an influencer in their life and to mentor them. I'm greatly encouraged because I know that you deeply care about, that you are passionate about others encountering the truth about Jesus. I see it across our congregation. Are you one of them? Are you one of them who has embraced your role? Because whether or not that's you, the good news is, is that for all of us, wherever God has providentially placed you, there's an opportunity for you to run the race and to take the message of Jesus near and far. Now, this passage, it offers us a lot more than just a, a pricking question. It offers us instruction. It offers us three facets uh, to this question and three facets of this passage and, and to understanding the ministry of the word. And I, I want you to think about these three things kind of like a three-legged stool. Might be a helpful way for us to be able to remember this. And the three legs on, on this stool here, they, they feed together. They work together to support. They work together to provide balance. They work together to, uh, to actually hold up, hopefully, uh, <laughs> The weight that gets set on it. I broke my son uh, Seth's bed the other day when I sat on it, so you know it does have me a little bit nervous. But um, <laughs> that's a story for another time. But when it comes to the ministry of the word, we don't need just one leg. We need three. And as we look at this passage, it helps us to see three facets of the ministry of the word. And the first leg that we're going to look at is passion. Are we passionate. Because I think we actually need to understand this a little more clearly. Before any of us is tempted to write off passion here as just simply that as something that we're, it's about how we feel. It's something emotional about how we feel about this work or as something that's just vocal. It's, it's in how we talk about the word that that's just passion. Let's instead remember that passion is also seen in our actions. It's in what we do. The athlete that rises an hour early from bed to go running is displaying passion in their actions. And God cares about our passions. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So how does this text then teach us about passion in the ministry of the word? Well, in verse 25, we see that Apollos is described as being fervent, or as your translation might have it, a glow. Passion for this work radiated from Apollos. You can see it in how he speaks boldly in verse 26, or in his willingness to cross the Aegean Sea, a dangerous decision at that day and time. 
to take the message to Achaia in verse 27. You can see it in how he powerfully refuted the Jews in verse 28. There's something there, too. Powerfully refuting the Jews in that day and time very well could have been a very dangerous encounter. It proved to be for many Christians throughout the book of Acts. Obviously, Apollos is passionate in his heart, his words, and his actions. And if God cares about our passion, our spiritual fervor, then I wonder if any of those descriptions would match us. Would any of those descriptors be used of us in our ministry of the word of God? Because passion is the first leg that we need to look at here. Passion for the word of God shouldn't just be an exercise of our gray matter. It should impact our hearts. It should touch our hearts. It should give words to our lips. It should be seen in our actions that display a commitment for this work. This passion, it's, it's not just an inner longing. It is a heartfelt commitment to advancing the truth about Jesus with other people. And so are we passionate about others encountering the truth about Jesus, or are we lackadaisical? Are we just kind of hoping it's going to happen? Listen, if the answer to the question is something along the lines of, well, kind of, well, let me offer you this to take home with you. Take a page out of Apollos' book and learn. Deeper understanding oftentimes gives birth to deeper passion. As one scholar said, fervency comes from a confidence in the truth and power of what we proclaim. If you want to grow your passion for bringing the word to others, learn it, read it, study it, discuss it, and most of all, practice it. Practice it. And as you press through those obstacles of understanding there, watch as your passion for this work grows. It'll grow. Now that's passion. What about our second leg here? This passage offers us the challenge to not just be passionate in general, but to be passionate about other people. Are we passionate about others? Think back to the text here to better understand this leg. Verse 26 provides us with a great example. It says, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, obviously, Priscilla and Aquila, they care about the truth. As we mentioned earlier, they take the time to carefully explain it, to lay something out thoughtfully, carefully, clearly. But this isn't simply passion for the truth. This isn't ivory towers, as it were, right? After all, why take him to the side? Why not just expedite the process if all that's important here is truth? Why? I'll never forget one particular college chapel of mine. Our school had allowed a couple of us student preachers the opportunity to teach. And I remember towards the end of that brief season, one of the guys in our class got up. And as he's speaking, I quickly began to recognize this message as a very, very famous message that a pastor named Louis Giglio had preached. And with each passing awe and amen from the audience, I was getting hotter and hotter under the collar. <laughs> And all along, I didn't hear one reference to Louis for all the work. And, and so after the message, I walked straight up to this guy. He was in the midst of his, his group of friends, and I'll never forget it. I looked at him and like a wise guy. I said, hey, don't forget to send a thank you note to Louis for the message. And I'll never forget 
the, the look of embarrassment that just washed across his face. And he made some, you know, kind of comments, started to want to talk to me about it, and I waved him off, and I walked away. Friends, I may have been passionate about the truth, but I wasn't passionate about my brother in Christ encountering the truth. Immaturely and sadly, I was far more interested in scoring points about accuracy than opening up the scriptures and being a brother. Church, we are not to be passion steamrollers. We're to be passionate about others encountering the truth. You know the phrase in the verse that we read there of taking him aside? That would actually indicate that Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos into their home. This is a picture of hospitality, a picture of warmth, of respect, of thoughtfulness. And not just for accuracy of the truth, but for the person too. Out of a desire for them to encounter more clearly the truth about Jesus. It's a desire for them to reap the benefits of greater effectiveness and reverence for Christ that can come from understanding the truth about Jesus more accurately. And thankfully, Aquila and Priscilla, they understood that. But what about us? Do we understand that, yes, there's times for the scriptures to powerfully be used to publicly refute someone who's denying the divinity of Christ and pulling others astray? Just like Apollos does in verse 28. But the many other times, we don't have some belligerent person on our hands. We have someone who's confused. We have someone who needs more instruction. Do we have the wisdom to discern the difference? Friends, if you're interested in growing in this area like I am, where we're feeding our passion with truth, we want to be passionate, not passionate steamrollers trying to expedite the process, driving full steam ahead over people. But instead, we want to be passionate about others. Let me offer you this to take home with you. Ask questions. Ask questions. If you're passionate about actually helping someone encounter the truth about Jesus, then work at asking good questions. Writing on this aspect of discipleship, Bill Mowry in his book, Walk With Me, he writes this. He says, when we invite people to walk with us as we walk with Jesus, there should always be an open Bible between us. We build convictions by filling our heads with the scriptures, but there's more. Our aim is more than the accumulation of biblical facts. We aim for a life transformed by owning these truths. How do we help people own what they learn from the scriptures? Owning information means more than listening to a message. Owning information is more than giving an exhortation and a prayer. Ownership starts with some questions. The invitation to walk with me is marked by asking questions, helping people connect the Bible to life. Are we actually passionate about real-life people encountering the truth? I hope so. But let's keep growing at it. If we're grasping the first two legs of our stool, let's not miss the last leg here. As we think about our role in ministering the word of God to others when it comes to the truth about Jesus, we should realize this is what drives our passion for people. We want people to actually encounter this message. 
In the passage, we see how the truth about Jesus was encountering all kinds of people from different backgrounds, from different uh, uh, beliefs, from uh, different places, uh, from, uh, from, from different educations, from all kinds of things. We see the gospel message encountering different people. And despite the difficulties and the dangers, we see a passion for all kinds of people to encounter the truth about Jesus. And for us today, perhaps more than anything else, it's actually this last leg that presses us to want to be only an alternate in this work. Let me explain. Living in a pluralistic culture like ours, the audacious claim that somebody else is wrong and that we're to be passionate, not about people encountering some nebulous idea of the truth, but about the truth about all of life grounded in the person of Jesus Christ, that's a dangerous idea. That's an idea that will get you ridiculed and may even get you fired, right? We pick up this tension. Every time we attempt to help a coworker, a friend, or a teenager better understand and apply what God has said, and specifically, maybe one way that we encounter this tension in a culture like ours is, and, and, and perhaps has stumped some of us, and you might have experienced this, when we attempt to share, we attempt to explain the scriptures with somebody, and they respond with something along the lines of, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. I mean, what do we do then? After all, what we understand about Christ comes from the Bible. And more. But here we are. Many times we're at a loss as to what to do next in attempting to reach them. One pastor compared our dilemma in a culture like ours a bit outlandishly, but he described it this way. He said, imagine a Christian being a mugger, and he was to come up behind somebody and stick a gun in their back, and he said, I've got a gun. Give me all your money. And the person responded by saying, well, I don't believe in guns. And the mugger said, oh, well, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'll just be on my way now. Puts his gun in his pocket and walks away. That's what some of us are doing when it comes to the word of God in our culture. Listen, church, if you fed your passion with truth and you're attempting to bring the truth to people that you genuinely care about and you feel at some kind of an impasse because they're rejecting what the scriptures have to say about Jesus and life, then let me offer you this to take home with you. Take a page out of Apollos' book and don't back away from it. Don't put away the truth. Don't, don't miss this. Don't hand in the authority of the word of God. Don't be bashful about the truth. Keep turning to the scriptures to show others who Jesus is and let the truth feed off of your passions so that you can keep holding it out. Do that by recounting the ways that the Holy Spirit has used the truth of the scriptures to save and to shape and to support you again and again over the years. How he has used those scriptures to kindle a heartfelt commitment in you. Allow that to strengthen you, to keep holding out the truth. In church, we can see how these three legs work together. We can see how these three pieces feed into each other. We can see how this question should, should guide us to keep us on track in this race of ministering the word. And not as an alternate, but as someone who has embraced their role in being passionate about others encountering the truth about Jesus. If that's our balanced, sturdy approach that we take, then I can't wait. I can't wait 
for the months and the years ahead in getting to hear story after story about how God has used his word through you in homes, in downtown Milwaukee, in prisons, in schools, and businesses, and wherever else that he has placed you to take his word to others. Let's pray about that. Father God, we recognize that when it comes to your word, that we need opportunities like this to have our passion rekindled. We need opportunities like this to come to you, be refreshed in the truth, and to catch a vision for where it is that you might take us to. Father, I pray for us as a congregation, even now, that we would be thoughtful as to where you and your providence has placed us in our life and the opportunities that we have right there with everyday people as an everyday Christian to take your word to them. I pray that we would be a people who would have a passion for your word and have a passion for others to encounter it. There wouldn't be a passion that's just emotive or how we talk, but it would be one that would be marked by actions where we learn it, we study it, we read it, where we've learned to ask good questions from it, and where we don't back away from it. I pray for us, Father, that that would be our heart, our mindset, as we walk into the weeks and months ahead, and that you would use us in the lives of those around us. I pray this in your blessed name. Amen.